This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Time now for Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday in Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. There's a potential killer on the loose in your city. Eighteen women have been beaten and robbed by this man. The newspapers call him the werewolf. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. Investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday morning, February 2nd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of robbery detail. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant and so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the teletype room and it was 3 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Hi, Ben. What's up? Keep your coat on, Joe. Just had a hot shot call. Coming, Skipper. Right behind you. Let's go, Freddy. Well, what was it, Ed? Another woman robbed, almost beaten to death. Uh, well, how many does that make? About 18 in six weeks. Is that right, Skipper? Yeah, 18 too many. Come on down these stairs to the garage. Yeah. What about that suspect we had, Ed? You mean Martin? Yeah. Had to release him this morning. But I got a good tale on him, Henderson. Yeah. We got any reports yet? Nothing definite to hold him for. Here's the garage. Let's hustle it. Right. Then if this isn't Martin's job, Skipper, and he's not the right man... Then we start all over again, and we work night and day till we find the right man. Here's the car. Let's go. Ben, you drive, huh? Yeah, all right. How do the victims describe this guy, Ed? Pretty sketchy. Supposed to be tall, dark, long black hair. Last woman said he had a face like an animal. Like an something animal. like a dog. Like a dog. Or a wolf. A wolf? Yeah. Yeah. She said... Something like a werewolf. Something like a werewolf. We almost had to be that, judging from the way he operated. 
He was either an animal or a raving maniac. One thing we were sure of, he was smart and he was dangerous. For almost two months, he'd prowled the streets in a stolen car in the early morning, usually between 3 and 5 a.m., and the victims were always lone women, most of them waitresses, coming to work or going home. He'd drag them into the car, rob them, beat them until they were unconscious, and then throw the body out into the street. That's just what we found when we pulled up to the curb near the corner of 8th and Grand. One cruiser car was already there, and so was the ambulance. About a dozen people were standing around looking at the crumpled figure of a woman sprawled out on the sidewalk. Two officers were talking to the only witness, a thin, sallow-faced newsboy. His story didn't give us much to go on. Like I was telling these cops, sir, or these officers, sir, I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down the block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. Actually, I, I don't know what to think. Did you get a look at the license plate? Well, well, no, I didn't. I mean, the truth, I could hardly keep from... Well, I was just plain scared. Mm-hmm. What did you do after you saw him throw the body out, son? Well, I just stood there for a minute and the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? Yeah, I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, I was... Couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. Uh, I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? It was just like the paper says about him. Right right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says attacker looked like werewolf. That's all the newsboy could tell us. The suspect drove a blue sedan... He had a face like a werewolf. We covered the neighborhood for clues, and we questioned a dozen people, but we got nowhere. We took the witness's name and address, and then we drove down a couple of blocks to an all-night gas station. 14 hour, I'll I'm going in here and call the office and see if Henderson's called in on Martin. We might still have a suspect. All right, Skipper. Looks as mad as a wet hornet, doesn't he, Joe? Yeah. Did you get a good look at that woman's face when they moved her in the ambulance? Yeah. Sure does like to mess him up. Oh, I don't know how we're going to get him, Ben, but we better do it fast. Next time, it'll probably be murder. Oh, here comes the skipper, Joe. Uh-oh. Doesn't look good. What is it, Ed? Just talked to Henderson. He tailed Martin to a bar in Long Beach. He hasn't been out of his sight for two minutes since yesterday. Martin's clear. And we're right back where we started. Yeah, with one more half-dead woman in the hospital. Well, how about that stolen car, Skip? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get that radio up. Okay. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. Attention, all units, on Grand Avenue between Venice and Washington. A woman, victim of robbery and attack. Code 3, ambulance to task. Code 3, red light and siren. Come on, Friday, let's roll. We couldn't be sure, but it sounded like another one. Six minutes later, we were there. Same story. Werewolf. The next day, the chief ordered the number of cruiser cars doubled in the central district. This was for the early morning watch with plainclothesmen to back them up. Then the newspapers played it vague, and in two days, the story was on the front page of every paper in town. Maybe that should have made the werewolf lay low, but it didn't. Because at 4 o'clock that morning, while Ben and I were patrolling with the other cars, he got his 20th victim. Attention, all units. Whittier between Soto and Matthews. A woman, victim of 211, an attack. 
Code three, ambulance dispatched. Here's a report on that blue sedan he used the other night, Joe. Found it out on Anaheim Telegraph Road. Any luck with it? Not one fingerprint we can use. Anything else? Nothing. Well, how about the auto theft detail? Same old story, Joe. He steals a car, uses it once, and then drops it. Never leaves a thing behind. Well, that's great. We're sure moving fast. How about that big guy you picked out of the lineup this morning? Oh, I checked his alibi. It's perfect. Hmm. Now we haven't got even half a clue. Yeah. Well, come on. Let's check with Ed. He's instructing the police women on the plan for tonight. Now you've heard the reports, you understand how the suspect operates and what you're to do. Yeah, so. Remember, all of you forget you were ever policewomen. Change the way you walk, the way you carry yourselves. That's the part you're playing, all right? Okay. And be careful and don't take any chances. All right, Freddy. Okay, Ed. Now, just to make sure you look the part, we're spotting each one of you at different restaurants and coffee shops throughout the Central District. And from 7 o'clock tonight until daylight tomorrow, each one of you is going to be a waitress. You got that? Okay, Ben, you want to give them their assignments? Okay, Joe. Well, here's the way it lines up. Marge Kissel at the Top Hat Cafe. That's on 9th Street between Alvarado and Westlake. Okay. And Katie Wells, Joe's Coffee House, Brooklyn Soto. Right. Pat Fielding at the All Night Steakhouse on Figueroa Street between Florence No, and the trick of using decoys to lure criminals into a trap wasn't exactly new, but, well, it was just one of the old tricks that we figured might land the werewolf behind bars. At 7 that night, Ben and I made the rounds and found each of the policewomen on her job as a waitress. Well, the overall plan was simple. The girls were to leave the different restaurants between 3 and 5 a.m. that morning and pretend they were walking home. We mapped different courses for each one of them to throw out as much bait as possible and yet not to make it look suspicious. Each policewoman, from the time she left the restaurant and stepped out into the deserted streets, would be pretty much on her own. We had officers planted all along the way at designated intervals, but a big element of chance and danger was still there. All we could do was cross our fingers and hope. How much more time, Joe? Let me see. She's doing two minutes. Yeah. Waiting gets on your nerves. And it won't be long. This corner doorway's a pretty good lookout spot. Yeah. Wait a minute. Listen. Who is it, Joe? Can you see? Get back. What is it? Wait a minute. It's Marge Kissel. There's a man following her, a big guy. If it's the werewolf, where's his car? I don't know. Maybe he changed his plans. Get back. Here they come. You get a look at him, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Not too suspicious. Might be coincidence. Well, I got a pretty good lead. Come on, let's go. Stay back in the shadows. Hey, Joe. Hmm? So where'd the guy go to? I lost him. The little coffee shop up on the next corner. See? Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's opening the door. He's turning on the lights. Yeah, looks like a false alarm, Joe. Well, let's check him anyway. Well, I didn't think we'd be that lucky on the first try, and we weren't. We asked the man a few questions, and it didn't take him long to show us he wasn't our man. He owned the coffee shop. So, Ben and I went back and took up our posts again and waited for the next decoy. We covered that ten-block course six times that morning back and forth, following the bait, but it was almost as if the guy could sense a trap. Not once did we get a nibble. By the time our last decoy finished the route, it was almost daylight. Joe, I never was so glad to see that sun come up in my whole life. My feet feel like they're puffing right up out of my shoes. Yeah, me too. Come on, let's get over to the car and check on the other squad out in Boyle Heights. Huh? Oh. Hit the radio, will you, Ben? Yeah. Joe, there must be some easier job on the force than that. Yeah, you and me both. Now, let's see what happened to the others, huh? 80K to Unit 104K. Come in. 
104K to Unit 80K. Go ahead. 104K, this is Friday. You do any good out there? This is Miller. I'll call Curtis. Stand by. 80K to 104K, Roger. What do you think, Joe? Maybe a buy? I don't know. Oh, this guy seems to work like a mind reader. Well, he can't win all of them. 104K to Unit 80K. This is Curtis. Go ahead. This is Friday, Al. How'd you do out there? Any luck? Just checked in the last gal, Joe. Andy Welch, not a sign. Okay, Al. Have the men check in. 80K clear. KGPL. Okay, let's go, Ben. When we finally got back to the office that morning, both Ben and I were ready for some sleep, but it didn't look like we were going to get it. We just about finished going through the overnight reports for some kind of a lead when the phone rang. Robbery Friday. Hiya, Joe. This is Wilkerson, auto theft. Hi, Wilkie. You got something for us? Not much, Joe, but it might work into something. Just got a report in on a pair of stolen license plates. Oh? Yeah. I'm not much of a hawkshaw, but I figure there's just a chance it might be your werewolf boy. How come? I don't know. Maybe just a hunch. After 13 years in this business, you get to know thieves pretty well. Sometimes you got to even think like them. Okay, Wilkie, thanks. We'll check by in a couple of minutes. Right, Joe. What do you have to say? A pair of license plates stolen last night. Wilkie's got a hunch it could have been our man. Well, might be an angle, Joe. If that werewolf guy'd hang on to one car long enough, we'd have a chance at him. Oh, he's too smart for that. I don't know, Joe. Sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. Yeah. Come on, let's check with Wilkie. Well, we checked with Wilkerson. We got the best piece of news we'd had in days. On the average, 95% of stolen cars are recovered or located within 24 hours. In the remaining 5%, Wilkerson, by a simple process of elimination, narrowed down the number of cars the suspect might be driving. Wilkie figured six cars. There they are. Now, I'll bet you if you picked up your man tonight, he'd be in one of these cars. Let me see, huh? Two-door black sedan, yellow convertible, another sedan, green, blue coupe, black coupe, and a gray convertible. Plus, good work, Wilkie. At least we got something to look for now. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Uh, Wilkie, you got the numbers of those stolen plates you're talking about? Yeah, right here, Ben. They're already on the hot sheet. Good. Keep us posted, huh? As usual, Ben. See you later, Wilkie. That's a good break, Ben. Something to keep us busy tonight. Tonight? What do you mean? We're setting another trap. Same thing as last night. Same police women, same everything. Well, only this time, let's hope he steps into it. You know, Joe, this werewolf character is getting me mad. That night, we followed in our own footsteps. We planted the policewomen decoys in three separate districts, and a few minutes before 3 a.m., our squad of men took up their positions. The same policewomen went to their waitress jobs in the same restaurants, and Ben and I and the rest of the men stood in darkened doorways or empty filling stations or whatever cover we could find. And we waited and waited. What time is it, Joe? Let me look. Half past four. Thank you. Any sign, Joe? No, nothing yet. Come on, stay in the shadows. That's the way it went all through the early morning. The same plan over and over again until daylight. Ben and I had check in at the station, go over the late stolen car reports with Wilkie, catch a few hours sleep at home, and then come back and do it all over again. The next night, and the next morning, and the night after that, and the morning after that. Five days later, Ben and I were ready to call it quits. I'll admit it, Joe. I can't figure. Guy's either psychic or else he can smell a cop a mile away. Yeah, well, at least we got that stolen car angle left. You check with Wilkie yet this morning? I'll give him a call now. All right.
Auto theft, Wilkerson. This is Ben, Wilkie. Got anything for us this morning? Yeah, I'm just going to call you. You fellas ought to let me solve your cases for you. Why? What'd you get? The boys picked up three of those six stolen cars since late yesterday. Great. Now, what does that leave us with? I hear the three still missing. Yeah. Four X-ray 763. Yeah. Five six young 342. Uh-huh. Six one Robert 385. Yeah. Got those? Yeah, thank you, Wilkie. Uh, check you later. Good news? Remember those six missing cars? Yeah. Wilkie says the boys found three of them since late yesterday. Here's what's still out. The blue coupe, the yellow convertible, and the gray convertible. Yeah. Well, this feels like the right track for a change, Ben. Righty. Romero, got a minute? Sure thing, Skipper. Come on, Joe. What do you got, Ed? Woman out in Hollywood just called in with this. She said she walked down to the corner from her house last night to mail the letter. On the way back, a guy pulled up in the car and tried to drag her inside. Any description? Big, heavy set, dark, same thing. Well, how'd you get away from him, Skipper? She said she started running as soon as he made a motion toward her. When he saw her run up the steps of her house, he jumped back in the car and took off. Well, how come she didn't call in before then? She hasn't got a phone. She's afraid to leave the house again until this morning. Sounds good, Chief. You got her address there? Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Tom Burdick, 1237 Wilcox, apartment 10. Come on, Ben. This might be what we're looking for. Who is it? Who's there? Sergeant Friday, ma'am. Police. I'm Sergeant Romero, Miss Birdie. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. We come out to check on your call about that little trouble last night. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be much help to you. I was so frightened about all I could do was just run. Well, could you add anything to the man's description, Miss Birdie? I mean, other than what you told the chief on the phone? Well, now, honestly, I don't think I can. All I saw was this tall, dark man jumping out of his car and starting for me. He had a heavy build and seemed to me, well, a large head... Lots of long black hair. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Burdick, uh, would you recognize this man if you ever saw him again? Well, I think I might. He was such an unusually big man, almost frightened me to death. Well, just one more question, Miss Burdick. Could you describe the car this man was driving when he approached you? His car? Mm-hmm. Why, yes. It was a gray convertible. Miss Burdick, are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure of it. A gray convertible. Thank you, Miss Burdick. That's all we wanted to know. Sometimes when you're on a case, you can chase yourself around in circles for weeks trying to fit together just two little pieces of a yard-long jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of the time, you find the answer where you least expect it. But once you get that feeling you're after the right man in the right way, there's nothing that can shake you. When Ben and I got back to headquarters, we went straight to the chief's office with the story, and we had him stake out the gray convertible. In other words, if any detective or officer spotted the car, he reported it back to us, but he stayed away from it. We figured that there probably weren't more than two of the victims who could take the witness stand and identify the man who robbed and beat them. Not with a smart defense lawyer, anyway. So there was only one way to catch this suspect. Red-handed. Here they are, Joe. Both sets of license numbers for that gray convertible. Here are the original, and here are the numbers on the stolen plate. Good. Everybody got a hot sheet? From the chief all the way down to the janitor. Fine. Now let's get together with Ed, huh? Hot shot, Joe. Grab it. I got it. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly beaten. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly... Come on, Ben, another one. But, Joe, it's broad daylight. Yeah, doesn't figure, does it? Come on. 
vacant lot over, Joe. Two plainclothesmen and uniformed officers were keeping the crowd back. An ambulance was drawn up by the curb, but it was empty. When we got down to the rear of the lot, we found out why. They were waiting for the coroner. The woman was young, not much more than 30. Her body was half sprawled across the muddy ground, and her face was turned upward. It had been badly beaten. We figured it happened last night, Sergeant. Have the fingerprint men been notified? Yeah. How about the crime lab? Just called them. That's good. Now, let's keep everybody out of the area till they get here. All right, Sergeant. Uh, who found the body? One of the kids in the neighborhood. The woman was dead when he found her. Did she live around here? Well, about a half mile away. I hear she's got three kids. Or, she had three kids. Uh-huh. You've seen enough, Ben? Yeah. Let's get on back to headquarters. All the way back to headquarters, Ben and I planned our next move. And by the time we got to Ed Backstrand's office, we knew exactly what had to be done. When we told him about the werewolf murder, he didn't say a thing for a minute. He just stared across the room at the calendar on the wall. Then he brought his hand down hard against the desk. Friday, Romero, I'm only going to say this once, so get it straight. That guy's pulled his last job in this city. He's through robbing and beating women, and he's through with murder. I've given you time to track him down, and now I want him in. No stalls and no excuses. I want him. I don't care how many men you use, and I don't care how you get him, but get him. That's all. Ben and I worked all that afternoon right through dinner, up until 8 o'clock. By that time, the overall plan was down on paper and already in action. It was one of the biggest things we'd ever tackled, and, well, we didn't know if it was going to work. We only knew it had to work. We had a squad of 65 cars to stretch out over 40 square miles of the city in one big dragnet. The blockade itself would be stationary most of the time, and working inside it would be two cars, 14 policewomen as decoys, with two plainclothesmen assigned to watch each policewoman. If and when the werewolf was sighted in the gray convertible, we'd automatically take over the police radio for the whole city, and Backstrand would direct the chase from headquarters. A little after eight, we had coffee and hamburgers, and we went to Ben's for a few hours. Ben tucked his kid in bed as usual, and then he laid down for a nap. I talked to his wife until I dozed off in the chair. At 11.30, she woke us up. I combed my hair and put on my coat. Cops' wives are like everybody else's. They worry. When we met Ed at headquarters, we did some last-minute checking on details with Backstrand for about a half an hour, and then we were all ready to go. By five minutes past two, half the dragnet crew pulled out of the police garage and scattered over the city to their places. By 2.35, the other half pulled out, and a few minutes later, Ben and I followed. At three minutes to three that morning, Backstrand took over communications and checked every car in the operation. It was a good start. Every man in his right place by the right time. The trap was set. All we needed now was to find our suspect, the werewolf, inside. Control 4 to Unit 80K. Control 4 to Unit 80K. 80K to Control 4. Go ahead. This is Backstrand standing by. 80K. Roger. Clear. KGPL. Okay, Ben. Now let's go find him. I got a hunch, Joe. Let's try the Wilshire District first. Sounds all right to me. Let's go. For the first hour and a half, we raked the Wilshire District back and forth. Not a sign. 
Then about 38 minutes past four, we headed back for the downtown area and parked in an alley where we could double-check on one of our policewomen decoys. Here comes one of the gals now, Joe. Fat field. Bet her feet are almost as tarred as mine. Yeah. Did you see anything else, Ben? Nothing. Quiet as a church. No. No, no, wait a minute. Hmm? Car just turned the corner. Heading up in the same direction she is. Joe. Hmm? Joe, it's slowing down. Wait a minute. He's pulling up beside her. It's a gray convertible. It's him, Joe. Come on. <laughs> ADK to control four. ADK to control four. We've spotted the suspect. He's driving a gray Ford convertible. License 61 Robert 385. Suspect's headed east on Olympic from Alameda. Driving without lights. Suspect is armed. He had a fast car and he knew how to drive it. We almost lost him twice. Two minutes after we sighted him, Backstrand took over full radio control. ADK to Control 4. We're traveling at a high rate of speed, headed east on Olympic, crossing Soto Street. Control 4 to all units. Stand by. Units 11A, 12, and 13R close in on the intersections at Olympic and Lorena. Units 41, 42, 45, and 104K move on the next four crossings east of that. To the north and south, units 105K, 14A, 17R, 43T. Lock all main arteries. Five cars in the dragnet had pulled in like a noose around a five-mile area. Ben and I hoped it was just a matter of time. Unit 80K to Control 4. Control 4 80K, go ahead. He's headed north on Fresno Street, crossing Whittier Boulevard. Attention all units. 80K now pursuing suspect north on Fresno from Whittier Boulevard. Units 15, 105K, 11R, and 18A block off the intersection on Fresno and 4. Hey, Ben, up there ahead. What's he trying to do now? Look, he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming right for us. Watch it, Joe. Look out! Pretty close. 80K to control four. Control 80K, go ahead. Exchanging shots with suspect. Watch it, Ben. Here he comes again. Sure likes to use that gun, doesn't he? Sure does. Hey, Joe, look. Now look, he's turning east. He's running for Hollenbeck Park. Yeah, 80K to control four. Control four, go ahead. Suspect just drove up over curb and into Hollenbeck Park. does look like a werewolf. Yeah. You got your handcuffs? Yeah. Okay. Got a cigarette? I've been out for an hour. Little place across the street. Maybe we can get somewhere. Okay. There's the crew from the 41R. Hey, fellas, take him into robbery, will you? Okay, Friday. 
think there's a vending machine in there. Uh-huh. Say, uh, you got some change for the cigarette machine, mister? I think so. Say, uh, who's that guy all them cops were after over in the park a little while ago? I picked up the werewolf. Been reading the papers? Yeah. You fellas cops? Yeah. <laughs> sure made it easy for you, didn't he? All you cops had to do was surround the little fella in the park. Nothing to it, huh? Yeah, that's right, mister. Nothing to it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Barton, known as the werewolf, was tried and convicted and is now serving a full life sentence at the state penitentiary. This has been Dragnet, the third in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Sergeant Mario Victor Dairo of the Los Angeles Police Department, who on the morning of January 1st, 1943, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. to you from Los Angeles. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Life of Riley was an American radio situation comedy series of the 40s that was created by Irving Brecker, initially for friend Groucho Marx, originally entitled The Flotsam Family. The sponsor balked at would have been an essentially straight head-of-the-household role for Groucho, as he was well-known for his rather blue material. So, while attending the theater one night, Brecker saw William Bendix as a taxicab company owner, Tim McGarren, in Hal Roach's The McGarrens of Brooklyn. And Brecker stated, he was a Brooklyn guy, and there was just something about him. I thought this guy could play the role I want. So, he took the Flotsam family script, revised it, made it a Brooklyn family, and made it more meat and potatoes, if you will. And the thought of the new title, The Life of Riley. Bendick's delivery and the spin he put on his lines made it work. The rework skip cast Bendix as a blustering Chester A. Riley, a wing riveter in the fictional Cunningham Aircraft plant in California. And his frequent exclamation of indignation, What a revolting development this is, became one of the most famous catchphrases of the 1940s. Tonight's show is all about Riley talking in his sleep and the trouble that follows. New. It's amazing. It's Prell. P-R-E-L-L. Prell Shampoo. Yes, Procter & Gamble's new Radiant Cream Shampoo in the handy tube. Prell.
Powell brings you The Life of Riley. Well, the shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff, leaves hair radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Each evening after dinner, Chester A. Riley sits down and relaxes with the evening paper. This is one of our American institutions. Whatever is lacking in our daily lives, the evening newspaper can provide. For the stout and sedentary businessman, there's the sports page. For the meek and mild spinster, there's the latest axe murder. And for Riley, happily married for 18 years, there's the divorce news. Hey, listen to this, Peg. What, Riley? In the paper here. 80-year-old man divorces wife after 50 years of marriage. Oh, no. The couple have 16 children, 30 grandchildren, and 22 great-grandchildren. Oh, I think that's awful after 50 years. Well, it's just one of those things. I guess she just wasn't his type. <laughs> hey, hey, get this. Prominent socialite divorces banker. Million-dollar community property to be divided. How about that, Peg? This poor guy gets taken for 500000 Oh, what a sap. If we ever split up, honey, you'll never be able to nick me for 50% on a community property deal. Why not? Oh, I'm too smart. I put everything in your name. <laughs> oh. Well, if I'm ever stupid enough to divorce a wonderful wife like you, then you deserve to get every cent I have. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. <laughs> The silly reasons people get divorced for. Get, get, get this. Wife sheds mate who talked in sleep. <laughs> Can you beat that? The guy's a perfect husband for 30 years, gives her everything, and she divorces him. Just on account of a little thing like talking in his sleep. That's a woman for you. Well, what did he talk about? A chorus girl named Mabel. <laughs> well, I don't blame her. I do the same. <laughs> you got nothing to worry about, Dumplin'. You're lucky. Other husbands run around nights, but me... I'm home every day at six for dinner. I give you an hour to yourself while you wash the dishes. I read the paper from seven to seven thirty, and then from seven thirty on, I'm all yours. Yes, there's just one slight trouble. At seven thirty one, you're always sound asleep. That's not so. I never fall asleep. Here it is seven thirty right now, and I don't feel a bit sleepy. You want to go out someplace? Where? Just name it. Any place. Any place at all. But you mean it? Of course I mean it. Well. I'd like to see when my baby smiles at me. Damn Daly's in it. Oh, that Daly. What a physique. <laughs> well, he's okay, but he's got nothing compared to Betty Grable. <laughs> <laughs> you really want to go? Yeah, come on. I'm rearing to go. Get your thing. All right, I'll be ready in a second. And when my baby smiles at me, let's see, where's that blue coat? Oh, here. Oh, when my baby smiles at me. Well, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Riley. Oh, yes, I'm a lucky woman. Hey, Pop, can I have a quarter? Oh, I didn't know you were asleep. What? What'd you say, Pop? Peg, Peg, go away, Peg. Gee, he's talking in his sleep. Go away, Peg. I don't like you anymore. I am in love with Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude? 
stop kissing me. Gertrude, stop. <laughs> Gertrude, you stop now. Stop, I say, stop. Do it some more, Gertrude. Hey, Pop, Pop, wake up. Huh? Oh, oh, it's you, Junior. What's the matter? Why'd you wake me up? I was having such a nice dream. Yeah, I'll say you were. I was dreaming about... About... It's gone. Now, you see what you've done? Such a beautiful dream, and now I can't remember. What'd you wake me up for? Well, you were talking in your sleep. Next time you stay out of my dreams. <laughs> well, I didn't want Mom to hear what you said. Never mind. She can hear all she wants. I got no secrets from your mother. I got nothing to hide. Junior, I didn't say anything about the five bucks I got hidden up the chimney, did I? No, but a lot worse. What could be worse? You were talking about a woman. A woman? Her name was Gertrude. Gertrude? I don't know anybody named Gertrude. Ha, ha, ha. What do you mean, ha, ha, ha? Bob, you don't have to pretend with me. Pretend what? I've been around. <laughs> okay, Errol Flynn. <laughs> so I dreamed about this Gertrude. So what? Ha, ha, ha. That's a lie. <laughs> Gertrude kept kissing you. She kissed me, but I didn't let her. I fought back like a tiger, didn't I? Well, no, you kept asking for more. <laughs> no, it must have been some other guy. And I guess Mom was in the dream, too. Oh, well, then everything's okay. After all, if your mother was there chaperoning me... Yeah, but she kept saying, Pad, go away. I don't like you anymore. I like Gertrude. But that's not true. I couldn't have said... Well, that's what you said, Pop. Listen, Junior, I never heard of this Gertrude. And I ain't admitting nothing. But, uh... Not a word of this to your mother, you hear? Hi there, Ronnie. Oh, hi, Gillis. Hey, you look all tuckered out. Tough night? Uh, I didn't sleep a wink. I was afraid I'd talk in my sleep. So you'll talk in your sleep. So what? You probably make more sense when you're unconscious. <laughs> you don't understand. Last night when I took my after supper nap, do you know what I said in my sleep? How should I know? I ain't the kind of a guy goes around snooping, eavesdropping on his next-door neighbor's bedroom. You'll never guess what I said. I was talking about a mysterious woman. What do you think of that? Ask Gertrude if she's got a friend for me. <laughs> Gillis, you hurt. Riley, you dog. You've been holding out on me. Gillis, honest, I don't know any Gertrude. Come, come, Riley. We're men of the world. I'll be glad to take her off your hands. But she don't exist. She's only in my dreams. Okay, so tonight, tell her to come into my dreams. <laughs> I only live next door. A very short trip. Uh, I wish I could. If Peg ever heard me... Oh, I gotta watch myself. Already, Peggy's getting suspicious. I went to bed with adhesive tape over my mouth. No kidding. Yeah, but I got out of it. I gave her a logical excuse. I told her I did it to break me of the habit of sucking my thumb. <laughs> Riley, uh, about this here Gertrude. Gillis, I don't know any Gertrude. Oh, yes, you do. You must have known her. Only you forgot. Now she's in your unconscious. And one night while you're sleeping, the whole sordid story will come out. And Peg will hear it. What story? The intrigues, the secret meetings, the rendezvouses, the back streets, the love nest, drawn curtains. Riley, why did you do it? I'm only flesh and blood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't do nothing. You've got to believe me, Gillis. Oh, I believe you, pal. But try and make Peg believe that. 
You keep talking in your sleep. She listens. She's horrified. She goes to her room and starts packing. She can't go to her room. We both got the same room. There she is, packing. Tears leaking from her eyeballs. Poor Pack. You're still talking. Junior comes in. He listens. Then he starts packing. Poor Junior. Then Babs comes in. She listens. And she starts packing. Poor Babs. Here you're talking. Thirteen hours later, you wake up with a sore throat and no family. Poor Riley. <laughs> Tell us what I do. You gotta find out who this here Gertrude is. What happened between you? And get her out of your system. Yeah, but I don't remember her. That's why you need a psychiatrist. You mean I should go get psychoalkalized? <laughs> why, sure. He'll find out about Gertrude. He'll probe around down there in your unconscious mind. Yeah, well, I'll do anything, Gillis. Do you know a good man? The best? Dr. Eiglick from Vienna. Remember when my boy Eggbite was having trouble in school, bringing home bad marks, failing in exams? Yeah. This doctor found a trouble in the flesh. And such a simple thing. Why? He found out the kid is stupid. <laughs> what a doctor. Well, I bet he can do the same for me. Let's go. <laughs> So you see, Doc, I gotta find out about this Gertrude. Yeah, yeah, I see a, a very simple case. I handled many similar ones in Vienna when I worked with Freud. Oh. Excuse me, please. Yeah. Hiya, Doc. You placing any bets today? Nah, I'm flat, Lefty. Yeah, too bad. Now, wait a minute. I got a chump in there. I think I can clip him for a fin. <laughs> Be right back. <laughs> Uh, that was a very eminent colleague of mine, Herr Professor Lefty. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Well, uh, let us begin. Uh, lie down on the couch, please. Oh, yeah, okay, Doc. Oh, before we begin, uh, always the fees in advance. Old Viennese custom. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. <laughs> Here you are. Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, excuse me a moment. I will go right away and give it to the bookmaker. Uh, the bookkeeper. <laughs> Hey, uh, Lefty. Lucky boy in the fourth on the nose. Okay, Doc. Right. Und, uh, now we begin, Herr Lucky boy. Uh, Herr Riley. Uh, sure, Doc. Obviously, this Gertrude is some woman you should have known a long time ago. And you have suppressed all knowledge of her. But we will find her. We will probe inside your mind. We will go deeper and deeper until we hit rock bottom. <laughs> now, I want you to think of women. Think of all the women you have known. I'm thinking. Now, just let your thoughts roam. Uh, I see a woman. Uh -huh. She's beautiful. Uh -huh. Honey-colored hair. Yeah. Blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. A dimple in her chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A gorgeous figure. What's her phone number? Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, go on, go on. She's holding her arms out to me. Aha. Uh -huh. Now she's kissing me. Aha. Uh -huh. This is Gertrude. No. No? No, it's my wife. <laughs> your wife? Yeah. Lie down, please. We try again. Now, we go farther back. A long time to when you were young. Now, think. Think of women you knew in your youth. I'm thinking. Yeah? I'm in Prospect Park, sitting on a bench. And who is with you? A girl. A gorgeous girl. Uh -huh. I got my arm around her. Uh -huh. The moon is shining. Yeah? I lean over toward the girl. Uh -huh. We're cheek to cheek. She whispers in my ear. What is she saying? Chester, when are you going to get your nose straightened? <laughs> This is Gertrude. No. No? No, my wife. <laughs> Your wife. 
Lie down, please, we try again. <laughs> now, uh, think back. Think way far back. Where are you thinking? Where are you? Coney Island. Alone? No, there's a beautiful girl with me. Go on, please. I got my arm around her. Ah. She's got her arm around me. Ah. I lean over to kiss her and... And what? Everything goes black. Black? No, it's light again. Aha! That is it. That is it. We have the solution. First it's light, then it goes black, then it's light again. You know why? Yeah, sure. We just went through the tunnel of love. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course you went through the tunnel of love. With this Gertrude. No. No? No, with my wife. <laughs> Let's try again, huh? Wait. I lie down. <laughs> uh, I think that will be enough for today. Next visit. Next I... visit? Oh, yeah, these things take a long time. One year, two. Wait a minute. I can't wait that long. I paid you for advice. You better come across or give me back my five dollars. Now, see here. You better start talking. Of course. Uh, Of course. On second thought, the case is very clear. You see, it is apparent that you have an anxiety neurosis rapidly developing into schizophrenia based in turn on a guilt complex in your marital relations. Uh, Okay, that's around two bucks worth. Keep talking. (laughs) Yeah. You see, your true mate is this Gertrude, but you have suppressed her into your subconscious. Three bucks. Three bucks. And in living 18 years with another woman, you have been living a lie. My advice is to leave this stranger whom you never really loved and seek out Gertrude. Only then can you be happy. Well, well, that's more like five bucks worth. Thanks a lot, Doc. You're a genius. It's so simple. All I have to do to be happy is leave this here stranger I've been living with for 18 years and find this Gertrude. So when I get home, I'll just say to my wife, Goodbye, stranger. (laughs) What a revolting development this is. If Riley thinks he's got troubles with Gertrude, wait till he sees himself on the screen in a swell new movie of The Life of Riley. And this warm, hilarious film has all your favorite characters from Peg, Junior, and Babs right up to, or shall I say, down to Digger Odell. You're in for a happy movie when you see The Life of Riley starring William Bendix as Riley. Now, Prell Shampoo brings you the second act of The Life of Riley. And Riley is still worrying about the mysterious Gertrude he keeps talking about in his sleep. Riley, dear, what on earth's the matter with you? Me? Nothing, nothing. Well, you've been staring at me for the last half hour as if I was a stranger. Well, you are. I mean, I, I was. Uh, was I? Well, what's the matter with you? Nothing. Nothing. I, I, I think I'll lie down in the living room for a while. Oh, dear, that man. Always something. Oh, now, who's that? Mrs. Riley? Yes? I'm the cleaning woman. I was working over Miss Gillis for half a day. She said, you want me for a little work. Oh, yes, I certainly can use you. Come in, please. Yes, ma'am. I can't do no heavy work, not at my age. I got the room at Well, I just want you to watch the woodwork. (laughs) Now, uh, would you please start in the living room here? Oh, my husband's in here. Try not to wake him up. Hmm? Drunk, huh? Oh, no, just sleeping. Yeah, I know, slipping it off. Why, 
No, well, he's not. Oh, I know the type. My poor father was one of them. But he used to come home roaring drunk in the middle of the afternoon. (laughs) But my husband doesn't... Beat my mother up, beat the kids up, all 11 of us. (laughs) There's nothing you can do for him. Just let him sleep it off the way he's doing now. But he's not drunk. Oh, you're a brave little woman, dearie, trying to put up a front, trying to hide your shame from the world. But I tell you that Just like my poor mother did, but it ain't no use, is it, dearie? Now look, ah, they gotta come out. But I you oh. just can't hide them, dearie. All right, all right, he's drunk. Don't worry, dearie. I won't tell a soul. <laughs> well, here's a mop for the floor. I'll get you a pail and some wash rags. Uh, Mrs. Jeff Miss. Everybody calls me Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude, I'll get you that pail. Oh, poor little woman. And look at that big brute laying there in a stupor. Uh, That's a drinking man's face, all right. Looks just like my poor father. Oh, he's coming too, the beast. You talking to me? Gertrude. What do you want? Gertrude, darling. Who are you calling, darling? Kiss me, Gertrude. Kiss you? I may be an old maiden crowd of 60 and getting bald, but I ain't that desperate. <laughs> Go on, kiss me, Gertrude. I ain't staying here another minute. It's getting so a girl ain't safe anymore. <laughs> Where are you going? Home. That husband of yours tried to kiss me. He what? Goodbye. <laughs> Riley. Chester Riley. Huh? Huh? Uh, uh, what's the matter? Why are you shaking me? Stop uh, pretending you're asleep. What's the matter? What did you do to that woman? What woman? The cleaning woman. Cleaning? Was there a woman here? She says you tried to kiss her. <laughs> I was asleep all the time. Peg, you've been dreaming. Oh, Riley, you're just impossible sometimes. If it isn't one thing, it's another. It's so hard to get a woman to clean the house, and when I finally do, you drive her away with your crazy antics. Now I'll never get Gertrude back. What are you hooting like an owl for? I said Gertrude. Gertrude, she was here. My dream girl. I got to find her. Riley, come back. Gertrude! Gertrude, where are you? Oh, what a mess. I thought I'd find that Gertrude, whoever she is. I don't know what to do. I can't go home, but I've got to. In my profession, when you've got to go, you go. So it's you. Yes, it is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. (laughs) 
What are you doing around here, Digger? I'm on my way to testify as a witness before the UEPUAC. UEPUAC? The Undertakers, Embalmers, and Bulk Bearers Underground Activities Committee. <laughs> a professional committee for our industry. We check up on subversive plots. <laughs> oh, those investigating committees, they never find nothing. I beg your pardon. When we uncover a plot, we find something. <laughs> Uh, there's somebody I'd, li- I'd like to find. Who? Listen, Digger, did you ever hear anybody talk in their sleep? Not around my place. <laughs> my employees know better than to lie down when I'm around. In fact, I have a sign hanging on the wall that says, If you're sleepy, don't lie down. And what's more, if you do lie down, you'd better snore. <laughs> I've been talking in my sleep about some girl I'm in love with, Gertrude. Oh, Riley, you're a gay dog. <laughs> but I don't remember ever meeting her. I, I can't even remember the dream. All I know is I talked about this here Gertrude, and then she even came to the house. But I was asleep, and Peg says I tried to kiss her. Oh, Digger, help me. you got to help me out of this hole. Well, all right. For you, I'll make an exception. <laughs> What'll I do? You must be forthright, frank, and truthful. Go to your dear spouse. Tell her everything. Discuss the whole matter. Yeah, that's best. Of course it is. I'm sure she'll understand. And the worst that can happen is that she'll lay you out. Oops, that reminds me I have an appointment. <laughs> well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. Oh, so you're back. Yeah, I've come to explain. Well, I don't want to hear any of your explanations. But, Peg... I don't care to hear anything you have to say. Yeah, but, honey, you... I don't want to listen to one word. Well, don't stand there with your mouth open. I'm waiting to hear what you have to say for yourself. (laughs) Well, you see, now, don't get mad, Peg, but there's another woman in my life. Good, she can have you. (laughs) Peg, I mean it. It's Gertrude. Gertrude? Yeah. She's the woman in your life? Yeah. That poor old thing with rheumatism who's, who's going bald... And she's the woman in your life? I always did have poor taste in women. (laughs) You know that. I mean, except for you. I don't understand it myself. I never really saw her. What do you mean you never saw her? Well, I just talk about her in my sleep. Ask Junior. Oh, you ought to go to a psychiatrist. I did. It cost me five dollars. Did he tell you you were crazy? No. You wasted your money. (laughs) You still don't understand. I keep talking about this here Gertrude, and I talk about you, too. I say... Go away, Peg. I don't like you anymore. And then I say, kiss me, Gertrude, and... Riley, do you mean to say... Oh, Riley! Well, it's no joke, Peg. It's more serious than you think. Gertrude is my true mate, and you're practically a stranger. (laughs) The doc told me I gotta find this Gertrude. There, you see how serious it is? I'll find your Gertrude for you. Now lie down on that couch. I'm gonna do a little psychoanalyzing. Well, okay, but you won't get anywhere. I had experts. We'll see about that. Now, think back. A long time ago when we were just kids. You remember my grandfather's place near Poughkeepsie? Yeah, I remember. Remember the weekend we spent there? You were seven and I was six. Yeah. Now I'm 40 and you're 32. (laughs) Now, concentrate. Think back to Poughkeepsie. Yeah. It's coming back. Sunday morning. We went for a walk. Go on. We're holding hands and suddenly... Yes? I see her. There she is. Gertrude. It's her. And you run to her. I can't help myself. It's love at first sight. 
I drop your hand, run to Gertrude. She starts kissing. And what does she say? She says, wait, it's coming back. I remember. She turns to me, looks at me with her beautiful brown eyes, and she says, No! Hey! Gertrude's a cow! I'm in love with a cow! You always did have poor taste in women. The Rileys will return in just a moment. For hair that's groomed well, just use Prell, Procter & Gamble's Radiant Cream Shampoo. Because Prell leaves hair looking lovely the very first time you use it. Radiantly clean, radiantly shining. Yes, in hardest water, Prell leaves hair more radiant than any other leading cream shampoo. Soft and smooth, easy to curl and manage. And Prell removes unsightly dandruff quickly, in as little as three minutes. Doctors' examinations proved it. And say that handy Prell tube's a pleasure to use. No waste, no spill. Try Prell. As Tallulah says, I'm Tallulah, the tube of Prell, and I'll make your hair look swell. It'll shine, it'll glow, so dandruff-free for radiant hair. Get a hold of me, Tallulah, the tube of Prell Shampoo. Still can't get over it. How any man in his right mind can get into such a stew over silly things. I know, Peg. I know just what you're going to say, and I don't blame you. I admit I ain't much of a husband. What you ought to do is pack up and leave me. Oh, now don't be silly. If I had it to do all over again, I'd still marry you. You would? Honest? Honest and truly? Mm, Honest. Ah, that's what I love about you, Dumplin'. You got very good taste in men. and Gamble invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Alan Lipscott, Reuben Schiff, and Dick Powell. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And remember, for more radiant hair free of unsightly dandruff, get the shampoo in the tube. P-R-E-L-L Prell Shampoo. This is Ken Niles reminding you to tune this NBC station every Friday night for Jimmy Durante, Eddie Cantor, Red Skelton, and the life of Riley. Good night. Stay tuned for Dragnet next on Theater of the Mind. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.